This is Stacy Harbaugh and Marcus Slayton with your local news, coming to you live from the WORT studios in downtown Madison. Here's tonight's headlines. The Madison Public Market has potentially been given new life as the County Board's Finance Committee voted to help close the $5.2 million funding gap. The budget amendment was put forward by Board Chair Patrick Miles, and if it makes it into the final budget, would put $1.5 million toward the public market. But it doesn't come without in catch. In order for the county to help close the gap, the city of Madison would have to include the additional $4 million in their capital budget. That money was not included in the budget proposed by Mayor Satya Rhodes-Conway in September, and no alder has yet brought forward an amendment to increase city dollars to the project, reports the Capital Times. The county budget will go before the full board next week for final approval. City budget, meanwhile, will go to the Common Council for final, de- de- for final deliberations the week of November 15th. While most eyes are on the fall election taking place next week, Madison's council president is moving his gaze to next year. Council President Keith Furman has announced that he will not seek re-election next spring, saying that sitting on the council has been a rewarding but exhausting experience. The Wisconsin State Journal reports that Furman is the second alder to announce their plans not to run next spring. District 12 Alder Syed Abbas announced in late September that he will not seek re-election after he moved to Sun Prairie for an unsuccessful bid for the area's state assembly seat. The spring's general election will take place on April 4th. Representatives from municipalities in multiple counties voted last night to create a combined fire protection district in an effort to address ongoing staffing issues. Ten municipalities in Dane, Rock, and Jefferson counties voted to create the Fire Protection District, allowing firefighters and first responders to respond to calls across the entire area. The towns of Edgerton and Milton led the charge in the effort, with Milton Mayor Anissa Welch calling the move a major milestone. The newly combined Fire Protection District will go into effect on February 1st of next year. The fall election is just around the corner, and here's some details you need to know if you plan on heading to the polls. Early in-person voting will continue through this Sunday. However, the final day that you can register during early voting is Friday, as state law bars voter registration the weekend before the election. You can find more information on hours and locations of early voting sites across the city on the City of Madison's website. Remember that your early voting site may be different from your polling location on Election Day next Tuesday. And you can also register to vote on Election Day at your polling place. And now on to today's top stories. As the last days before the fall election loom large, GOP candidate for Governor Tim Michaels made a stop in Dane County today to appeal to Republican voters in the state's most liberal county. WORT producer Nate Wiggyhout headed out to Middleton today to speak with him. It's a beautiful day here outside the Bristol Boar Saloon and Grill here in Middleton, where GOP gubernatorial candidate Tim Michaels is scheduled to speak in just a couple minutes. I'm going to head inside and see what it is all about. 
A few dozen people were enjoying Reuben sandwiches and bottles of Budweiser in the saloon and bar in Middleton, waiting to hear Michaels deliver his speech. Prior to Michaels taking the stage, Lieutenant Governor candidate Roger Roth took the stage to pump up the crowd. He knows, he has heard firsthand from moms and dads across our state who recognize that our kids are falling behind right now in education. Tim Michaels is going to sign into law universal school choice and give parents a choice in education that you're responsible. Michaels then took the stage, applauding Roth's work in the state Senate, where he has represented the Appleton area since 2014. He knows all the games and the tricks that they play inside Capitol Square. So when people come to me and they go, you know, Governor Michaels, you can't do that. I'm going to go to Roger and say, Roger, can we do that? He's going to say, oh, yes, you can. And we're going to get stuff done. <laughs> After discussing the latest Marquette Law School poll, which found Michaels and Tony Evers in a dead heat less than a week before Election Day, Michaels then took on Wisconsin's $5.8 billion surplus. Because we know that you, everybody in this, in this bar, everybody in the state of Wisconsin is overtaxed. How do we know that? There's a $5.8 billion surplus. $5.8 billion. And Tony Evers is running around saying that's a good thing. It's burning a hole in his pocket. What kind of program can I spend it on? You know what? As a fiscally conservative, frugal businessman, I think that is a bad thing. Why? That means that you and everybody else in this state has been overtaxed. I want to put that money in your pocket. You can spend that money on goods and services that will benefit you and your families. Governor Evers has repeatedly called on state lawmakers to return that money to the people through a massive tax cut and even giving Wisconsin residents a $150 tax rebate, according to the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. The Republican-led legislature, however, shot down both of those ideas. Ending his speech, Michaels brought up Wisconsin's expensive gubernatorial race, which is the most expensive in the nation. They have spent Tony Evers, George Soros, the liberal left, has spent tens of millions of dollars radicalizing my position. Okay, oh, and here's, a word, here's another one that really is, is annoying and should concern all of us. You've seen the TV ads? Numerous and multiple harassment allegations against Michael's corporation. Let, let me give you the numbers. Let me give the numbers so you can arm yourself over these last few days and you can tell people the exact numbers. There's been five allegations, five, over the 62-year history, 62-year history, of the company and zero have been proven true. According to campaign finance records, George Soros has not given any money directly to the Evers campaign. Soros has been the subject of conspiracy theories for decades, according to reporting from the Associated Press, and has often been used as an anti-Semitic dog whistle. After the speech, Michaels took a few questions from reporters. Michaels was asked how he would replace the Wisconsin Elections Commission, which he has repeatedly called to be dismantled. Well, I'm going to put, replace it with a group I'm going to call it the Wisconsin Election Integrity Group. It'll have representation from all eight congressional districts, and we are going to make sure that the people of Wisconsin are confident that we have election integrity here in the state of Wisconsin. Thank you, guys. The fall election is in just five days on November 8th. Early in-person voting will run until Sunday, but there will not be any voter registration over the weekend. You will still be able to register to vote on Election Day. Reporting for WORT News, I'm Nate Wuggie 
dog owners in Madison might have some new places to bring their furry friends soon. The City of Madison Parks Division is reviewing the current dog ordinances for nearly a dozen parks in neighborhoods across the city. This new review is the most recent following the Parks Division's request for community feedback on the city's less dog-friendly laws back in 2019. WORT reporter Aaron Ashley has the story. Since it was first drafted in 1973, the City of Madison's strict dog ordinances have been revised several times to loosen the legal leash on where dogs are allowed in public spaces. Next Wednesday, the Board of Park Commissioners will decide whether to preserve the status quo on a number of dog-free and dog-friendly parks across the city, or whether or not to add or restrict dog access. This review comes after the Parks Board requested community input and suggestions surrounding the proposed changes last month. Currently, there are 11 parks up for review. Nine of these are dog-free areas which prohibit nearby residents from bringing their dogs there, even if they are on the leash. The remaining two parks are considered dog-friendly areas where owners may bring their pets so long as they are on a leash and stay on marked paths. Ann Shea, Public Information Officer of the Parks Division, says that these parks were each selected based on the amount of feedback the Parks Division received from the community. None of the parks are currently under consideration for being changed to off-leash areas. The Parks Division undertook a number of similar efforts over the past few years. Concerns raised in previous community surveys have focused on the limited number of park options currently available to dog owners and the liability issues with ensuring dog owners clean up after their pets, especially around playgrounds, sports fields, and other areas which receive high foot traffic. One proposal in 2020 to add a new off-leash dog park on the east side of Madison failed to gain traction after public input did not provide a clear community preference for the new park's location or even if it should be built at all. The indecision highlighted the difficult task of coming up with a balanced solution which gives dog owners more options when it comes to walking their pets, as well as ensuring that dog owners are educated on park rules. If this new round of reviews does result in any changes to the status of Madison's parks, it isn't going to happen overnight. Shea, the park's spokesperson, says that before any new ordinances can go into effect, new signs have to be printed letting dog owners know what changes are going into effect. This will take time. The Board of Park Commissioners review will be held at 6.30 p.m. next Wednesday in person at 1402 Wingra Creek Parkway and will be open to the public. Reporting for WORT News, I'm Aaron Ashley. The time is now 6.17 p.m. and you're listening to the live local news on WORT. Election Day is Tuesday, November 8th, and as people make their way to the polls next week, it's important to know what is and is not allowed on Election Day. Ballot selfies? Voting history mailers? How is your right to vote protected here in Wisconsin? Earlier today, WORT producer Nate Weggehout spoke with Larry Dupuy, legal director with the Wisconsin ACLU, about our protections at the polls. With the fall election just around the corner, Wisconsin's voting landscape is undergoing constant change of what is allowed and what's not allowed. To go over what protections we have with voting here in Wisconsin is Larry Dupuy, uh, legal director with the Wisconsin ACLU. Larry, thank you so much for talking with me. Sure. 
glad to be glad to be here. So, Larry, so you're the legal director over at the Wisconsin ACLU, and we've seen in both the spring and fall 2020 elections uh, the threat of partisan interests attempting to sort of suppress or maybe throw out uh, ballots. And that, that's sort of been an issue. Can you tell us, you know, maybe what legal maneuvers or lawsuits you're maybe worrying about this time around, and then sort of going from there, uh, you know, why why people should still be voting anyways? Yeah, so I, uh, the the basic landscape in Wisconsin is a little more settled than it has been in a while because some of the issues that came up in, in 2020, uh, both around the pandemic and then around the, the, the election um, in November that year, uh, have sort of settled out in the courts. So some of the things that were, you know, attempts to suppress the vote, like trying to uh, discount uh, votes from um, absentee voters, uh, trying to discount votes from drop boxes. Those, all of those things, you know, the rules were what the rules were then. Um, and now, you know, this time around, the rules have changed again, um, partly because of what the courts have done. Um, but at least we know what the rules are and nobody's, you know, planning, at least as far as we know, to try to argue that the rules should be changed yet again. Now, that may happen. Um, there may be efforts to try to discount um, or, you know, not count um, certain absentee ballots. Uh, that's something that we're uh, a little concerned about. Um, and there are also, um, you know, concerns about observers showing up, uh, you know, nominally observers, but really there to try to obstruct or, um, or you know, bring baseless uh, challenges against voters' eligibility to vote. Um, so th- those are concerns that, frankly, have been around for a long time. I mean, I've, I've been doing uh, election protection work, which is this, there's this nonpartisan coalition election protection that is organized nationally by the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights and here locally, the ACLU is involved, but also uh, other nonprofits um, and uh, League of Women Voters and, and some other nonprofits, um, as well as private lawyers who get involved in this. And what what we've seen is that typically those uh, those kinds of scary scenarios of people showing up and making you know formal challenges to electors um, who are voting on election day have generally not materialized. Um, now, you know, the, the threats seem to be a little bit ramped up this year, so uh, we're definitely keeping an eye on it. There were some concerns about, um, you know, the, the, in the Green Bay area in particular. Um, and, you know, so we're, we're definitely keeping an eye on it. We have um, a group of, you know, nonpartisan um, lawyers and then other observers, uh, non-lawyer observers as well, at polling places sort of throughout the state. Um, and we're, uh, we have a, a sort of command center of lawyers um, who can help, like, troubleshoot things that are the more common problems, frankly, which is people not knowing that they can use uh, certain, uh, certain items as proof of, proof of residence, for example, um, which is often actually a bigger problem than, than anything else that we hear about. It's like people are turned away from registering on Election Day because they think they don't have uh, a proper um, proof of residence. But if we go through the list, the list is actually pretty long, and there are, are usually almost everybody 
um, ends up having something that they can use to prove their residence and therefore register on Election Day, which is a great thing in Wisconsin as we have Election Day registration. Um, that's not true in a lot of states. Um, and as long as you have that proof of residence and then you have the ID that you need to vote, um, you can vote on Election Day. So, Larry, now I sort of want to talk a little bit about early voting. So uh, a great thing about this week is that there uh, a number of sites and locations uh, around Madison are open for people to register to vote and to uh, for people to cast their ballot early. Uh, in fact, as of this morning, uh, almost 44,000 absentee ballots uh, have been returned just here in the city of Madison, either by mail or in person. But we're, we're sort of heading into the final days of the election here, and the rules do change a little bit. So what what do voters who still want to early vote need to know? Yeah, so uh, the, the, the key thing is do it as soon as you can, um, partly because, you know, it ends on Saturday, uh, early voting ends on Saturday, um, and registration ends on Friday. Uh, so if you're going to go early vote and you need to register uh, to vote, you need to do that basically now. Um, the, uh, you can still, if you can't, if you haven't registered, um, you know, you won't be able to register, um, on Saturday if your, if your jurisdiction has early voting on Saturday. Um, but, but then you would be able to register on election day on Tuesday. So, so basically, you know, if, if you're already registered, you can go and vote either today or tomorrow or Saturday. Um, if you're not registered to vote um, and you want to early vote, you've got today and tomorrow to do that. Um, but then on Saturday, it's too late for that. So then you'd, you'd have to go on Election Day. And so now I want to sort of turn to an incident that happened this week uh, up in Ozaukee County where a man was charged with voter fraud, which is a felony, for doing something that seems to a lot of us a pretty common thing, which is taking a picture of his ballot uh, and then posting it to social media. Uh, can, can you tell us a little bit more about how voters should be careful taking pictures uh, as they're filling out their ballots? Yeah, so uh, Wisconsin law has a provision, and it, it was basically um, a provision that dates back many years to sort of ensure that one of the reasons for ballot privacy um, and the secret ballot is that in the past, you know, certain groups and organizations would compel their members to vote a certain way and wanted proof of that, right? And so the idea was we don't want people to vote under compulsion. And if we take away the ability of those people to find out how you voted, then you get to really vote your conscience. And so that's that's the idea behind this is that, you know, we don't want it to be a situation like, you know, what if that guy was who, who posted his ballot um, was doing it so that somebody would otherwise, you know, like his employer who had threatened to to, um, to fire him if he didn't uh, if he didn't vote the right way, and so he's proving that he voted the right way in order to keep his job, right? That's what it's intended to prevent. But there's no real evidence that that is happening anymore. That's sort of a historical thing, and I think there's a pretty strong argument that unless there's actually some evidence of, um, you know, the that a statute that doesn't require some evidence that there is actually some coercion going on, um, that that might well violate the First Amendment um, to, to prevent 
prevent somebody from expressing their political views. There's certainly nothing to, you know, that prevents somebody from saying, I voted for X, right? Um, and, you know, the ballot is, again, you know, if you're showing a ballot, you're not showing the ballot that has been voted, right? There's, you're, you're showing, you don't know that for sure, right? Um, so, so again, it's, it, I, I think some of the justifications, um, are legitimate, but they don't really justify as broad a ban on, you know, so-called ballot selfies, um, as we have here in Wisconsin. And I really think, you know, the, the, the Ozaukee County DA brought the charges and said he treated it, he's viewing it as a test case to just sort of decide whether this is, uh, legitimate or not. And I, I just feel like you don't, subject somebody to uh, criminal charges, a possible criminal record, and possible imprisonment um, as a test case. Um, it, it, it just isn't, uh, somebody shouldn't go to jail for this. Um, and, and that's what's at risk here. Um, and really, the First Amendment issues are significant. Um, we obviously don't know how they'll come out at this point, but um, there have been cases, uh, the First Circuit uh, struck down uh, a prohibition on ballot selfies um, in New Hampshire. Um, and so there, there are definitely uh, serious questions about whether uh, that law is um, consistent with the First Amendment. On the other hand, I would tell people um, in order to avoid being uh, prosecuted, you should definitely not uh, uh, post a picture of yourself taking uh, uh, post a picture of yourself with a completed ballot. Well, Larry, we're, we're sort of coming up against the clock here. Do you have just any, any final thoughts that you want people to know going into the election here? Yeah, I think one thing I would say is, I mean, if you are having difficulty at your polling site, especially on Election Day, um, we want to hear from you at the Wisconsin Election Protection Coalition. And the, the number uh, to call on Election Day is 1-800-OUR-VOTE. Um, and then so 1-800-OUR-VOTE. And then there's also, uh, the, there's an Election Protection Wisconsin um, Facebook page. If you're having trouble, you can also um, uh, message at the Facebook page, and we also have a Twitter page. So it's Wisconsin Election Protection. Um, and that, we're really trying to just, you know, help people um, who are eligible to vote get through what has unfortunately become a much more complicated process than it used to be and than it, than it needs to be, um, but help people who are eligible to vote get get out and, and be able to exercise that right. I've been talking with Larry Dupuy with the Wisconsin ACLU about what protections we have when it comes to voting. Uh, just one more time, uh, that number that you can call if you do have issues uh, at your polling location is 1-800-OUR-VOTE. Uh, Larry, thank you so much for talking with me here today. Thank you, Nate. The time is now 6.33, and you're listening to the local news on WORT. I'm your host, Marcus Slayton, here with fellow host Stacey Harbaugh. Thanks for joining us. Every other Thursday, we air an excerpt from the Out of the Box podcast, which is focused on supporting current and formerly incarcerated people and their families. This week, 
Host D. Starr brings us part two of his conversation with Cedric Page, where he shares his keys to success. We're back here with Cedric Page, part two of our conversation. You just didn't think about it. So I asked you questions in certain ways to force you to think about it and go, you know what, I, this is what I do. And what you're, what you're suggesting doing is correct. So we talk about, I don't want all the mentors that I've had in my life. And let me not leave out my major mentor, Mr. Todd Brown, who is my corporate mentor, one of the top 100 African-American businessmen in the world currently is my mentor, alpha brother, very successful, who took me under his wing and gives me advice two years and out, two years and up, two years and out. What that means is if you're young, out of college and you're starting a position as a young man, you if you're with the company, you either go two years and up to an upgrading position. If you don't manifest up, you manifest out and get the upgrading position someplace else. That's how you maneuver and get the compensation that you want. We haven't been taught that as people of color. So we go to one job and think, oh, let's say 80 grand is a lot of money. Well, I've been getting paid eight grand, 85,000 for five years. And I'm, you got to understand in business, you're only making 10%, seven to 10% of what you're bringing into the corporation. Anyway, they're taking 90% of that. So you're being successful. If you're due to door, don't be stagnant. There's money for you to make. So how do I make more money? I either upgrade to another position that pays more, or I go out the door and get another company to give it to us. Here's the caveat about being a corporate sales professional. Outside of my base salary, quarterly bonuses, and monthly commissions, that's money three ways. When I travel, I don't pay for anything, so I get reimbursed for anything on there. That's money not spent. So as long as I'm on the road, my expenses are zero, especially if I'm single and by myself. There's nobody back at home making bills. So my only expenses are to maintain what I have. So when you look at what you're bringing through the door and what you got going out the door, you just be smart about it. I put my money in different spaces. I pay attention to my 401ks. I have whole life insurance policies where I'm utilizing cash values and putting money there. I've learned not to put my money in savings accounts. You know, you're getting less than 1%. We have to start being smarter about our money. We have to be start being smarter about our businesses, having trust, having holding companies, having limited liability companies, having S-Corps, knowing when you need both, knowing how to do that. So how do we find out all that information, right? We find out all that information by mentorship and by asking questions to the right person to get those answers because there's people like me all out here. We're just waiting on the front person to ask the right question because if you don't ask, we've learned that if you don't ask for it, then you don't want it. That's why we don't chase. You don't ask for it. You don't want it. That's real. Because a lot of people come and say they want things, right? But your follow-up, the other thing that I, I respect about just how you conduct yourself, your follow-through is amazing and your follow-up. You call and remind, hey, I didn't get this information from you. I think I'm, I'm almost positive we talked about it. Maybe you missed it, but I need this. That makes me want to help you even more. But that tells me you have the thoroughness to follow up and say, hey, I need this. That's business. You're conducting business with me. I like to see that. I like to see young people of color, all people, to be honest with you. I like to see young people doing things in the appropriate, the right way. You don't have to turn up. You don't have to freak out. It's a way to be calm. Not give up your power. 
but be thorough, be forceful, get your point across. Yeah, one thing you always tell me is uh, don't give up your keys. Don't give up your keys. Can you explain that? Yes, I was taught that. DJ, each door, Khaled, DJ Khaled always say, I got the keys, keys, keys. So these are these are the keys that he's talking about. Your high school diploma is a key. The things you do when you turn 18 and you leave your, your home with whatever knowledge you left with is one kind of key. So you have high school is a key. College is another key to open up a door. So once you get through college, it's a key to open up a door that you walk through that opens up tremendous opportunities to you. Doesn't mean that if you don't have a college degree, you can't get through that door. No, that's not what it means, but it means it's 10 times as harder for you to walk through that door than it is for me. Right. So let's just keep it real about that. Having knowledge, but not having to get up and go, it's just, it's, it's just like not having the knowledge. That's what my mother meant, where you have a lot of people with college degrees or keys, but they don't use the key to walk through the door. The door's right there. They won't take the key to go through the door. So when I hear people say education isn't important, you don't know the importance of having keys. Because you're leaving a door that's locked to you. That tells me you're not interested in having a skill set, right? So this is what I tell people when they tell me that college isn't important. I said, you're right. If you have a skill, meaning are you a plumber? Are you an electrician? Can you run a crane? Do you do construction? What's your skill, right? Because skill breeds opportunity. You could be an entrepreneur, do different things, right? So even if you're one of those workers, right, a crane operator, Right. That's a job that you're going to go to work 10, 12 hour days, come home, get your pension, pay your wife, break your bag, take care of your family, die. Right. But that's for the complacent person. The person who has the right key is going to go. I want another key. So how do I own the crane? So now that I own the crane, how do I get contracts to get jobs with this crane? Another key. So now that I know how to get jobs with this crane, how do I close the deals? Another key. Now I can hire my friend because I'm going to lease this other crane. So I'm going to hire my friend to work this crane. So everything that's coming from the work that I'm doing is profit. Everything he's doing pays my bills. Now I'm a businessman. Now I'm managing in a space that I know very well. And I'm managing equipment and managing property keys. You understand what keys is walking through doors. You hold on to your keys. Keys is knowledge. When you have a business, you create something that's a value that's tangible. Your knowledge is the key. People are going to come to you and say, hey, I want to do exactly what you're doing. But they want you to do it for them. That's someone that wants you to give away your keys. The person that's trying to obtain his own key is going to want to sit, learn, ask questions to learn how to do it himself. So he can obtain a key. Most of us prefer to have somebody else with the keys and we prefer them to open the doors for us because we act like children. Only children freak out, act wild. I always go to their daddy and ask him for things. Can I have money? Can I get this? Can you do that for me? Only children don't take responsibility for themselves. Like I was watching this show on and one and it disappointed me when I heard the guy said, well, you know, uh, we didn't make as much money as we should, but the brothers gave their keys away. And let me tell you how, see, this is my disappointment with them was, yeah, all of that was going around, going on around you, but you, you don't know what you don't know. Right. So you, they signed contracts yearly. They contracts didn't automatically renew. So at the end of each year, you had an opportunity to negotiate your contract. 
or ask for an audit. You had an uh, audit or you had enough or you had the opportunity to go find you a manager, which Hot Sauce had, to go and say, hey, I want equity. That was D Star talking with Cedric Page on the Out of the Box podcast, where you can hear their full conversations. Find the Out of the Box podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It's Thursday, which means it's time for your up-to-date fishing report on fishy business. This week, Nate Wiggyhout and Pat Hasberg break down what's happening in Madison Lakes and the ups and downs of invasive carp in our waters. Alrighty, I'm on the line now, as always, with Pat Hasberg over at the DNS Bait Shop here in Madison. Pat, uh, with this this nice weather has just been continuing, hasn't it? How's the uh, fishing been? Yeah, it just the nice weather just keeps going, and the fishing has been great. There have been a lot of folks coming through the door here at the shop and uh, getting a lot of good reports of some great action all around town. So now before we get into some of the uh, bodies of water that we have here in, in the Madison area that we always get to, I want to ask you a little bit about carp. Uh, I saw, you know, there's been a couple news stories out there, uh, especially over the past week. I've seen some people talking about carp. Uh, they're invasive species here in Wisconsin. So, you know, what? tell me a little bit about carp behavior and, and things like that. How, when you're fishing, what do they go for? Well, uh, carp uh, sort of have a... I don't know. It's a mixed a mixed review in the fishing community. Uh, a lot of people aren't fans, but there are some people who are diehard fans. Uh, obviously, carp get very large. Um, I've seen them up to thirty pounds, um, and they are uh, fantastic fighters. They're also a very wary fish, uh, very intelligent. They learn uh, from you know experiences that they have, and, and they'll remember things. Uh, for a very long time, so they can be a, a very challenging fish to catch. Um, but also, they can uh, really be pretty destructive as far as uh, fish habitat goes. Uh, you mentioned they are an invasive species. Um, they their spawning activities in the spring uh, usually, I believe it's around June, uh, late May, early June. They start spawning, and uh, what they do is they'll go into shallow areas where a lot of bluegills and panfish like to spawn and they will, um, their, their spawning, uh, behaviors are very destructive in that they kind of root up, uh, shorelines areas. And then the areas where panfish like to spawn, they kind of root around in there and, uh, can, can make it so that the fish, uh, don't, don't want to spawn. They'll also raid, uh, spawning beds and eat eggs of, of fish and also their spawning activities um, disturb the water to such a point that the um, the water gets cloudy and plants that are just starting to sprout up out of the out of the bottom of the lake there get kind of choked out and, and wound up dying off and then there isn't good oxygen in the water so they can cause a lot of problems but they are a really fun fish to catch. Now I've always been told that they're they're not really good eating. There's uh, I've I've heard them called a mudfish before, but I I'm here to say that's not entirely true. If you cook them correctly, they do actually taste pretty tasty. Uh, so let's uh let's go into uh, some of the area waters around here. Let's start off with Lake Mendota. What's been happening there? Well, uh, the fish uh, continue to be mostly caught shallow. A lot of walleyes being caught shallow. Bass, uh, largemouth, and smallmouth. 
are uh, smallmouth being caught in the rocks, largemouth in the weeds. Uh, the panfish bite continues to be good. Uh, weeds are starting to die off shallow in the shallow water, so um, where you can find weeds, you're likely going to find fish because it's kind of concentrating those fish around those areas. But um, the bite all around the lake for all species has been uh, really great the last few weeks. All right, then moving on over to Monona, what's been happening there? Well, Monona is pretty much the same deal for walleyes and panfish. Uh, fish are moving shallow. A lot of walleyes being caught uh, at, in the evening hours, uh, especially on the south end of the lake. Um, the muskie bite on Monona, which is a world-class muskie fishery, uh, continues to improve. A lot of folks coming through the shop here picking up some uh, muskie suckers that we sell here, and those are 12- uh, to 14-inch muskie suckers that they use for bait. Uh, so it's a, a big meal, that the, and that, but that's what the muskies are looking for this time of year. Now, one place that we haven't really hit all too often is uh, Lake Wingra uh, here in Madison. Do you, do you know what's going on over there? Yeah, Wingra's got a great uh, muskie population, uh, and a lot of the fish I hear about coming out of there this year have been on the smaller side. But, uh, you know, and when I say smaller, I mean 30 to 40-inch fish in there. Um, but... Um, it's, it's a fantastic musky fishery. There's also a lot of um, some good largemouth bass and some northern pike in there. And if you're looking to keep kids busy, uh, Lake Winger is the place I send anybody who's got small kids because that uh, lake is absolutely full of uh, tiny bluegills and, and other panfish that can be a lot of fun for, for uh, young, young folks. Yeah, let's just hit one more uh, Madison area lake here with uh, Wabisa. What's happening there? Well, Wabisa is connected to Monona. Both Wabisa and Monona have fantastic muskie populations, so that's uh, really the, the biggest uh, deal on, on that lake right now. But there are also some great walleyes coming out of the Hog Island area and the Babcock Park area down near McFarland. Um, Upper Mud Lake, which is between Wabisa and Monona, uh, has some great uh, largemouth bass coming out of that, the, the shallow areas up there, but there's also a dredge hole that uh, was dug out many years ago that is really holding a lot of panfish right now. So some real real good action uh, to be, be had on Wabisa. And now I said that we were done with Madison Lakes, but there is one more that I'm kind of curious about. Uh, what about Kaganza? I know they've been they've been pretty slow this year. Have you heard anything new coming out of uh, Kaganza? Yeah, you're right. It, it has been a slow year. Uh, well, actually, the summer was pretty good on Kaganza. The last month or two has been pretty... Hit or miss. Uh, just recently, I have heard some good reports coming off Kiganza, but it's been um, very hit or miss. is is really the, the the best way to put it. Some some folks occasionally get into some good numbers of fish, but it's been tough for a lot of other folks. All right, Pat. I think that's just about going to do it for us here today. Do you have just any final fishing advice for the people out there? Well, you know, I, I, I feel like a broken record saying this every week because I, I feel like the, the cooler temps should be here by now. But, you know, the, the nice weather is, is sticking around, so get out and enjoy it while you can. All right. I've been talking with Pat Hasberg over at the DNS Bait Shop here in Madison. If you want to hear an updated fishing report anytime that you want, uh, you can. It's real easy. Call one number, 608-BIG-FISH. Pat, thanks for talking again, and good luck out there. Thanks, Nate. Same to you. Take care. It's 6.48 p.m., and you're listening to the live local news on WORT.
In the early 1840s, Wisconsin met the critical mass for becoming a state. In spite of their longevity in the region, once Wisconsin became a state and entered the election process, black men were not allowed to vote. Dr. Christy Clark Pujara is an associate professor of Afro-American studies at UW-Madison. And Clark Pujara says that Wisconsin, as Wisconsinites, we need to own our history and understand the steps that it took to get to where we are today. In this edition of Radio Chipstone, Clark Pujara introduces contributor Jennifer Fields to Ezekiel Gillespie and his fight for black male suffrage in Wisconsin. By the time we're getting to 1846, there's virtually no enslaved black people. But the question is, are they going to be part of the state or apart from the state? Are they going to be voters? Are they going to shape the state's first institutions? Are they going to be recognized as citizens? And that is what really the question is. And one of the reasons that the 1846 Constitution did not past muster did not get enough votes was because it was a contentious idea to even consider black male suffrage in 1846. And this is true throughout the North. Black men, for the most part, are barred from voting. So now who is allowed to vote at this time period? Well, in 1846, it's not a a state yet, but the people who are voting on whether or not it's going to be a state are all white men. And then when we get to the 1848 Constitution, the one that passes, that establishes Wisconsin as a state, it is very clear who can vote, who's going to be a part of things. And those are white men. And whiteness even supersedes citizenship. So if you read the actual language from the original 1848 Constitution, it says that foreign-born white men over the age of 21 who declare an intention to become a citizen can also vote because whiteness and citizenship have been so conflated in America and in the state of Wisconsin at that point that whiteness supersedes citizenship. Now, Native Americans can also vote, but there are some very specific terms under which they can vote. They have to be U.S. citizens. Most of them weren't, right, and are not going to be into the 20th century. And they had to denounce any affiliation with a tribe. So basically, they had to become culturally white in order to vote. So again, whiteness is setting the bar for voting. And because the term white is used, it is barring black men from voting. So let's talk about Ezekiel Gillespie. So Ezekiel Gillespie is living and uh, working in Milwaukee. And he is part of a black community that is small, but very aware that they have been marginalized. And an example of that would be when the Republican Party made universal male suffrage part of its party platform, African Americans met in Milwaukee, said that they were going to support this with everything they had and had their proceedings published in the local paper, right? They want people to know that they're aware of what's going on, that they understand that they are marginalized and not treated as full citizens, right? Um, Exegical Gillespie also goes to a mass meeting in 1865 about suffrage 
and this is drawing blacks from all over the state in Wisconsin. And so he is one of those people who is involved, politically involved, and pushing back against their political marginalization, which they understand is directly connected to their economic and social marginalization. And this is a community that is marginalized in every way you can imagine. So it's a poor community. They are a severe minority, right? They are, you know, less than a couple percent of the state's population. Um, And so they are vulnerable in all kinds of ways. But they also went out of their way to make their demands on citizenship known. And so he tries to vote, and he tries to vote in more than one election. And in the 1865 election, he tries to vote with the intention of being turned away because he's going to then work with Sherman Booth to sue um, that he should have the right to vote as a citizen. And who is Sherman Booth at this time here? What would lead him to take the case? Um, Sherman Booth is one of a small group of active white abolitionists in the state of Wisconsin. And I use the term active very intentionally. Many whites in the state of Wisconsin were anti-slavery. There were very few people who were actually abolitionists, meaning those who are actively working to destroy the institution of slavery. Was one of the excuses or reasons for not allowing black male suffrage at this time period, was it numbered? Was it tied to the population is so small? what difference would it make? No. It's simple racism at this point, meaning that in the 1840s, the United States of America is a country that supports and protects the institution of race-based slavery. And slavery is not a regional institution. It is a national one that is supported North and South, that is invested in by Northerners and Southerners. And So it's not surprising that Northerners contested black suffrage. Of course they did. Free black people were an anomaly. When you have a system in which race is used as a justification why an entire group of people is held in perpetual bondage and treated as simple chattel in law, free black people interrupt that. And so they themselves, by just existing, are an anomaly and are an affront to the justification of race-based slavery in which the U.S. economy is grounded. Christy, we have Ezekiel going to vote. Walk me through the timeline of what happens after that. So he's turned away and he files suit. He files suit at the local level and he loses and he knows he's going to lose. It gets to the state Supreme Court and the state Supreme Court looks at his case, and they don't say that black men should vote because it's morally right or they're citizens. They say that the State Board of Canvassers wrongly interpreted a referendum on black male suffrage in 1849. So a year after Wisconsin becomes a state, in 1849, there is a referendum on black male suffrage. So it's put on the ballot. And so everybody that's voting is a white man above the age of 21 and a few Native Americans who are citizens and have denounced um, any affiliation with the tribe. And so in that referendum on black male suffrage, it was approved by a vote of 5,265 to 4,075. However, 31,759 voters did not vote on the referendum at all. They left it blank. The State Board of Canvassers interpreted those 
absentee ballots as no's and said that there was a bar on black men voting. What the Supreme Court decides in 1866 is that the Board of Canvassers wrongly interpreted those absentee ballots and they should have just only considered those who actually voted. And so for 17 years, black men in Wisconsin are disenfranchised, unable to participate in the creation and the shaping of the state's first institutions on a legal technicality. But what I find particularly interesting is that in two subsequent referendums on black male suffrage, one in 1855 and one in 1865, nearly all voters vote on the black male suffrage issue and they vote no. And that would have been the end of it, save Ezekiel Gillespie's suit. As this is going on, is there a seat of black power in Wisconsin? Are we focused in Milwaukee? What happens once he sues and it's overturned? If there is a seat of black power, and it's a very small population, it is going to be in Milwaukee. And what happens is black people vote, right? And they are part of the electorate, but the vote is not the you know doors opening to freedom. And a very clear example of that would be over a hundred years later, the black commandos are walking down the street with people like Val Phillips and Father Grappi fighting for open housing, right? And so the vote does not open up the floodgates of liberty and justice to African Americans. It just gives them an opportunity to participate in the electorate. But again, that's only applying to black men. Black women are not going to be able to vote until 1920. But the vote is one of the first things. It isn't the last and only thing. For WORT, I'm Jennifer Fields. And that's a wrap for WORT's live local news at 6. Your reporter tonight was Aaron Ashley. Special thanks to feature contributors D. Starr, Pat Hansberg, and Jonifer Fields. Dylan Brogan engineered the show. Nate Wiggy helped produce this newscast. And Ms. Sholly Pittman is the news director here at WORT. Thank you guys for listening. I'm your host, Marcus Slayton. And I'm your host, Stacey Harbaugh. Hey, shout out to those of you who are streaming tonight's show on the WORT app. You can also subscribe to the local news wherever you get your podcasts. Up next is the Perpetual Notion Machine. Thanks for listening and good night.